Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Popular Antiquarian, the podcast about exploring the past to escape from the shock of the new. Each episode, I, Hieronymus J. Doom, look at something created before the turn of the millennium and attempt to explain why it means you should remain indoors at all times. This episode, we're looking at a comic, The Coyote Gospel, issue 5 of Animal Man, a DC superhero comic written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Chaz Trogue and Don Hazelwood, with colours by Tatiana Wood and letters by John Costanza. The cover art is by Brian Bolland. I love comics, but I have a difficult relationship with superhero comics. When I think of my favourite comics, almost none of them are superhero stories, and precisely none of them are ongoing superhero stories in the traditional mould. Superhero stories tend to exist in this curious dance with continuity. Things need to happen, but at the same time, the ongoing story cannot be allowed to change the status quo, or at least not permanently. Which means that nothing is ever truly resolved. Nothing is ever allowed to have proper consequences. Ultimately, even death is rarely permanent, as popular characters must always return so long as there's the possibility they can sell more issues. When a creative team manages to put out a story that's so good you might even call it definitive, there is no ability to draw a line in the sand. The machine needs to be fed. The creative team will move on to new projects, and whatever they did to define the character will likely be undone by the next team to take on the project. There's an argument for saying that superhero comics are the perfect emblem of late-stage capitalism. No matter how good the creative team is, it's the name on the cover that is supposed to shift units, and that name is owned by a corporation, not a human being. People will come and go. Batman is forever. You get the same thing with Sherlock Holmes to an extent, but at least anyone who wants to have a crack at it can use Sherlock Holmes. He's not a trademark. He's not a cultural infection. Superhero comics are the dominant form of story in the medium, not because there's anything especially virtuous about superhero stories, but because they are the easiest characters to commodify. There's lots of reasons why that is the case, but a big part of it is the simple imagery and the way that superheroes can become what you might call a blank-ish slate. Provided you hit a few very basic character beats, you can make Batman into anything he needs to be in order to sell. While I dislike the idea of superhero comics as a uniquely capitalist form of literature, that doesn't mean that I dislike all superhero comics. Genres create sets of guidelines which become ossified rules in the hands of indifferent writers, but which create a paradoxical freedom in the hands of the genuinely talented. It's all about knowing which rules you can break while still recognisably remaining within the tropes of the genre. Those tropes which orient all mediums towards mediocrity can be endlessly reinterpreted to create a genuinely novel story. I enjoyed Garth Ennis's run on Marvel's Punisher, for example, because a heavily armed psychopath fighting a brutal and murderous personal war against crime is the logical endpoint of all superhero narratives. Shorn of their bright costumes and care to avoid civilian casualties, most superheroes are no different from a crazed vigilante with a gun. I also like some of the modern takes on the Moon Knight character, which explore the notion that all superheroes are suffering from untreated mental disorder by depicting a superhero who is nuts even by the standards of the genre. 
it's not a realistic depiction of mental illness, but honestly, as someone with significant mental health problems, I tend to prefer depictions of mental illness that are obviously fictitious. The superhero stories I really like are the ones where the writers and artists are able to put their own stamp on the characters, especially if those characters are relatively minor figures in the wider continuity. There's a lot more space to innovate at the margins. This was something that became very clear during the British invasion, when a series of talented writers and artists were hired by big publishers in the aftermath of Alan Moore's groundbreaking work on titles such as Swamp Thing and Watchmen. A whole bunch of Brits were brought across the pond and given remarkable creative freedom by assigning them to odd corners of the expansive universes and letting them get on with it. One of those writers was a young Scottish writer called Grant Morrison, who did two fascinating early runs on Animal Man and Doom Patrol. Morrison has talked in recent years about being genderqueer, and although their relationship with pronouns seems to be complicated, I'll be using they, them, as that seems to be what they vaguely prefer at the time of writing. I'll almost certainly talk about Doom Patrol on a future episode because I love it, but for now I want to focus on Animal Man, and in particular on issue 5 of their run, The Coyote Gospel. Animal Man is not an A-list superhero. He's a guy who barely featured in DC Comics before Grant Morrison took over the character. His powers are kind of cool. He can absorb aspects of animals he's close to. He can fly by absorbing the power of a bird, or generate electricity by absorbing the power of an electric eel. I generally like superheroes who have weird powers more than those that are simply strong, fast and tough and Animal Man's powers show a lot of scope for creative iteration. There's lots of animals that do really weird stuff after all. Morrison uses Animal Man's close connection with the animal kingdom to explore issues of animal rights and vegetarianism, something Morrison themselves embraced during the writing of the series. They also give Animal Man a family who are present in his life, something that wasn't that common at the time, although it was by no means unheard of. Morrison uses Animal Man to tell a variety of different stories, ultimately culminating in a fourth wall-breaking meditation on the nature of reality and how the author themselves is present in all stories, whether they intend that or not. So Animal Man gets very strange in the later parts of Morrison's run, but there's something quite pure about the early issues they wrote. Having set the scene and developed their take on Animal Man, there's a bunch of issues that are more or less one-shot stories in which Animal Man himself is less the hero than the viewpoint character. Now, I love one-shot comics. There's something magical about telling a complete story in 20-something pages. Comics are a compressed storytelling medium, and that is part of their appeal to me. You can deliver an enormous number of ideas in a very small space. Of course, you can also squeeze stories into even smaller spaces. Morrison, like Alan Moore, cut their teeth writing Future Shocks for the legendary UK comic 2000 AD. Future Shocks are complete short stories told in four or five pages and represent one of the great challenges in comic writing. You could also make a case for the classic three to four panel newspaper comic strip being the single most compressed form of storytelling currently in circulation. But for me, it's the 20-something page comic story 
that's the most interesting. You've got enough space to develop ideas, but not so much space that you can afford to be flabby. You've got to hook the reader in and leave them satisfied at the same time. It's a real challenge. The Coyote Gospel tells a very strange but ultimately simple story. Essentially, Animal Man meets an anthropomorphic coyote who cannot die in the desert, and the audience learns how he came from another reality, one which bears a strong resemblance to the world of Looney Tunes cartoons. There's a bunch of stuff going on around the edges of this narrative, but that's the core of it. Ultimately, the coyote is shot and permanently killed by a trucker, a man tormented by the death of his boyfriend, and also the reported murder of a hitchhiker he picked up on the way to LA. The Coyote, as you've probably guessed, is an XP of Wile E. Coyote from the Roadrunner cartoons. He comes from a cartoon world of savage and unrelenting violence, a world in which no one can die, but all are trapped in an endless cycle of unremitting cruelty. The Coyote approaches the god of this world, clearly in actuality a writer and animator, and makes a deal. The suffering can end, but in exchange the Coyote must travel to another level of reality, one in which he will continue to suffer appalling acts of violence, but in a way that is considerably more visceral than the violence of his cartoon world. If he takes this burden upon himself, then the creator will allow the cartoon world to know peace. Thus, the Coyote ascends to the comic book world, a world where violence is much more visceral. We see him run over by a truck, his bones crushed, his internal organs pulped, only for those awful injuries to be slowly and painstakingly undone in a series of harrowing panels. When the coyote is finally killed, we can see how death itself might come as a relief for a creature condemned to suffer so that the rest of his world can know peace. The final panels where we see the coyote bleeding out in Animal Man's arms pull back to show that he's dying at a crossroads. The cross imagery, a hardly subtle nod to the passion of the Christ the religious event rather than the slightly odd Mel Gibson movie. There's a lot going on with this, but to unpack why it works, we need to look first at the Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons which inspired it. Arguably, few cartoons have aged as well as the Roadrunner cartoons. Comic tastes change all the time. While studying Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream at school, a great many of the jokes needed to be explained, and didn't exactly land for a modern audience, even once you understood that some of the gags were about the French suffering from syphilis. One type of humour that does tend to endure is slapstick. People getting hurt is, perhaps sadly, almost always funny. Mel Brooks famously said, Tragedy is when I cut my finger, comedy is when you fall into an open sewer and die. It's the reason that more people watch videos of skateboarders wiping out than watch videos of skateboarders doing cool tricks. The Roadrunner cartoons are a pure distillation of slapstick. Although Wiley Coyote would occasionally talk in some of his other appearances, he remains a silent figure when paired with the Roadrunner, whose own dialogue is limited to a cheery beep beep. Every cartoon is a frenetic series of sight gags where Wiley Coyote attempts to catch and eats the Roadrunner and comes a cropper, often in ways that violate the normal laws of physics, and often in ways that make it feel that the universe itself is against him in some way. He is rarely directly threatened by the Roadrunner itself. It's been observed that his main enemy 
is gravity. What makes Wile E. Coyote such an enduring character is the curious sympathy that his misfortune engenders. Like many a comic character, he is trapped by his own obsession, stuck in a cycle of failure, yet he continues to bang his head against the brick wall in the hope that he might get to finally catch his prey. He perseveres despite reality itself being against him. A thin, rangy creature who looks permanently hungry, he has a kind of doomed hubris. No matter how many times he fails, he's always ready to try again, always certain that his next extravagant plan will be the one to succeed. He's a wonderfully expressive character, especially in the moments where things go wrong. His entire face falls as he realises he's about to get splatted once again, his eyes full of mute despair as the shadow of the plummeting rock gets larger and larger. He's the antagonist, but he's also the protagonist. It's hard not to feel sorry for him when things go against him and he ends up flattened and exploded for the hundredth time. Morrison gives us a take on the character which is both sadder and more hopeful. They make it explicit that the world is truly against the coyote and that he exists at the whim of a cruel and capricious god. And that's something which will become a wider theme in Animal Man, the idea that the creators of comics fundamentally torment their creations for reasons that the characters are unable to grasp because they aren't for the most part aware that they exist within a story. They suffer to entertain the readers, a class of entity that they can rarely interact with directly. Would they feel any better if they knew their suffering had a purpose? Morrison shows us a version of Wiley Coyote who has crossed from one level of fiction to another, and if his sufferings are even crueler in the comics universe than in the cartoon universe, they do at least achieve something which affects the world. There's something wonderful about giving Wiley Coyote a context which foregrounds the sympathy that cartoon audiences have naturally felt towards the character. The second thing that the Coyote Gospel explores is the notion that superhero comics themselves have become crueler. Violence and horror are no strangers to comics. The Comics Code Authority, which hamstrung creativity within mainstream comics for so long, was in part a reaction to the proliferation of crime and horror comics which had sprung up in the aftermath of the Second World War. The dominance of superhero stories within the medium was at least partially a result of the code's draconian strictures, making other forms of storytelling all but impossible. It's a gross oversimplification, but by the late 80s, many writers were pushing the boundaries of what was possible, and mainstream comics were being published that did not carry the comics code authority seal of approval. That allowed for more mature content to find its way into superhero comics, including Animal Man itself. Mature content generally means sex and violence, and US publishing has traditionally been much more comfortable with violence than with sex. Morrison is inviting us to compare the violence of Looney Tunes with the violence of the new comics. The violence of the cartoon world and the violence of the comic books serve the same ultimate purpose, which is to entertain, but the violence of the comic book world is rendered as more consequential and more unpleasant. Is this necessarily better? Not for the coyote, who has exchanged one world of violence for another. 
are we better consumers for setting one kind of violence aside in favour of another? Again, not necessarily. This motif will come back much later in the Morrison run on Animal Man, and the author themselves will ultimately question whether their own take on mature superhero comics adds enough meaning to the form to justify the new depths of suffering which it brings. One thing I haven't touched on much is Animal Man himself, and that's because he's scarcely more than a bystander in the action. His role is less that of a hero creating change, and more to be a sympathetic, though confused, witness to the coyote's perpetual martyrdom. When the coyote hands him his handwritten account, Animal Man can't read it, though we, the audience, can. The divine purpose that the coyote serves remains a mystery to Animal Man, which again plays on that separation between the character's understanding of themselves and the audience's privileged position to be able to see the whole workings of the story. And that's both sad and clever. Animal Man is frequently merely a means for the audience to explore a situation in these early issues. There's a whole run of one-shot stories which form the bulk of the first third or so of Morrison's run. They're all great, and they all touch on themes which will dominate the later part of the ongoing narrative. I love how formally experimental Animal Man becomes, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that my favourite issues are the ones that tell a complete story from the early part of the run. I do love a one-shot, and this is one of the finest examples of the form. Aside from the core story, it also manages to do some nice character building around Animal Man and his family circumstances, focusing on his recent decision to become vegetarian and being, quite honestly, a bit of a dick about it. I'm a vegan, and there's a little wince of recognition I get from seeing someone trying to do a good thing and going about it in a way that alienates everyone around them. I haven't mentioned the art in any detail, and that's because I think it's basically fine. One of the areas where comics have really changed in the last 40 years is the ambient quality of the art. While there's always been great art in comics, the field is currently the most competitive it's ever been. These days, even the C-list titles routinely have fantastic art. Chaz Trogue and Don Hazelwood's art is good, but it's clearly a rung or so below some of the other artists kicking around at the time. The Coyote himself does look fantastic, though. They've managed to create a vision that's recognisably descended from Wiley Coyote, but one that resonates with how characters are drawn in the more grounded style of superhero comics of the day. He's clearly got elements of both worlds, but seems out of place in either, which is the perfect aesthetic for the character's origins. The cover art for the issue by Brian Bolland is just great, showing Animal Man in a Christ-like pose being painted by the hand of an unseen illustrator. It's brilliant because it encapsulates the theme of the comic without spoiling a single thing that happens inside. That's always a neat trick to pull off with a comic cover. Basically, the Coyote Gospel is great, and you should read it, and you should probably read all of Grant Morrison's run on Animal Man as well. I think that's probably quite enough to say about this slender comic. I'll be back next week for the final episode in the first season of Popular Antiquarian. In the meantime, you can get in touch with me by emailing hjdoomretrofun, all one word, at gmail.com. 
Don't forget that you can also listen to really quite a large number of episodes of my other podcast, Fantastic Fights, in which I play adventure game books out loud and talk in genuinely exhaustive detail about game book design. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, and I'll see you soon.